As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our weekend review. Yes, it was a weekend where LAFC was the place to be as the Californians scored three on their way to the big MLS Jamboree, where Philadelphia were also <laughs> able to hit the mark with the destruction of NYCFC at Subaru Park, where Leeds had the lead twice and they made Liverpool pay the price, which has put Jurgen Klopp's top four aspirations on ice, where Graham Potter went back to the south coast and the Hosts gave an almighty roast, while Christian Pulisic put one the wrong side of the post. Where Real Madrid were laid bare, the Portland Thorns won some silverware, Bayern Munich showed plenty of flair, and on Halloween it's Napoli who continue to scare. Yes, they're on course for Italian hardware. My name's Ryan Bailey, and with Graham Rutherford and Joe Lowry both playing the Gareth Bale role on today's show, they're unused <laughs> subs today, I'm joined by a man who's here on All Hallows Eve, but he isn't going to give you a fright. Hello, Mr. Laughing Taylor Rockwell. I mean, I guess it depends on how loud your headphone volume was as I came in with that laugh. That was a great one, Ryan. Uh, hello, <laughs> my friend. Good to have you back. Your rhymes are just particularly epic and awesome. When you listened to me trying to fill in and do those, is it a like, oh, that, that was okay? Or is it a like, oh, you poor lamb, like patting me on the head? What, what is the range of emotion when you hear me try to emulate your rhyming abilities? Yes. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Did is you miss right, me, Taylor? Taylor? Did you miss me? I did. I did. Aww. And I missed uh, th- those rhyming abilities sincerely. Is that a thing that you are good at? Do you think just naturally, is it because you are kind of musical? Like, are you able to improvise songs? Can you freestyle rap, Ryan? Is that what we're going to see at the live show? (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. I'm not good at anything, particularly not rhyming things, Taylor. Uh, So thank you for attempting to try and to get me to flatter myself. But I won't do it. I won't do it, Taylor. I think Um, I was mostly trying to trap you into uh, agreeing to (laughs) freestyle rap (laughs) during the live show, which you expertly evaded. Well done, sir. Uh, on the contrary, challenge accepted on a freestyle oh rap. I'll do it. If oh, it'll no. get you, listener, to come to our live show <laughs> in Brooklyn on November 20th, uh, less than three weeks away. Taylor, perhaps there's a link in the description that people could follow and maybe buy a ticket. Come see us. What do you think? 
I believe there will be. I think I mentioned it once, maybe twice last week. So, Ryan, thank you for uh, for reminding us uh, to plug it because it is coming up. We're very excited. We're reaching that point of like, oh, that's coming. Uh, and then the nerves <laughs> get really high. I'm excited for the uh, period when we're actually there and then we just get to enjoy each other's company, do the live show, hang out, watch some soccer, meet some good people. It's going to be a wonderful time. It's going to be the most wonderful time of the year, or at least the precursor to it, Tay-Tay. I agree. Um, I am glad to be back on the pod. Thank you for having me back. Uh, I've been in Dubai, by the way, on my vacation, which I like to call the spiritual home of soccer players. Uh, I think every single soccer player who's not at the World Cup is going to be in Dubai. You can guarantee it this uh, this November. A uh, very good place for some winter sun. What I was interested in, Tay-Tay, is that the, um, the proximity to Qatar is quite close, is Dubai to Qatar. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, because of the accommodation issues in Qatar, a lot of fans are said to be flying to Dubai, staying there and flying in on the morning of games. I saw a Guardian article where a bunch of Wales fans are going to do that, for example. So I wanted to sort of get a taste of what the World Cup fever was like there, Taylor. And uh, I've got to say, I didn't find the fever very much. Nope. I talked to taxi drivers. I'd be like, you excited about that World Cup? And they're like, is that cricket? Oh, soccer? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a thing that's happening, isn't it? Yeah, it's just another thing that's happening somewhere nearby, basically. I wouldn't say that World Cup fever has gripped the region from my very anecdotal talking to taxi drivers, Taylor. Is that like is that like going to Las Vegas and asking if people are excited for the next Raiders game? Like, is it sort of there's so many things going <laughs> yeah. on that it's just, it is just another thing that happens uh, intermittently every now and then? I think it's precisely that, and also... I just surveyed a few taxi drivers and some yeah. locals who I met, so I probably haven't um, properly taken the temperature of the region. But a, uh, a, a shot in the dark here, but I'm guessing the taxi drivers were most likely themselves probably not locals, but I'm guessing maybe uh, foreign workers and maybe indicative where they come from that they were interested in the cricket. Would you like to... Yeah, that's true. Would you like to guess, Taylor, the percentage of uh, immigrant workers in Dubai compared to local Emirati? Uh, I mean, I'm assuming it's like 99% immigrant. 85%. It's quite oh. high. Yeah. That's, that, that is actually lower than I thought it would be. So there you go. All right. I guess that's good. But yeah, that, <laughs> that does not surprise me because I think a lot of what I, I complain about with Qatar probably applies to Dubai and the UAE uh, in general. Abu Dhabi as well. Let's throw in Abu Dhabi too. Indeed. Uh, but a very nice place to visit. I do recommend it, listener. And uh, Champions League midweek kickoffs are at 11 p.m. local, which uh, that's too late for Ryan. But uh, otherwise, I can't complain about it at all. Uh, one other thing I wanted to get to before we get to the weekend's games, and we have many to talk about, Tay Tay. Uh, I have found some interesting World Cup research from a website called Kelbet.es. They have analysed, Taylor, over 7,000 squad members from the World Cup since its inception in 1930, basically every single player in World Cup history, to find out the most common names in the World Cup. Would you like to have a guess at the most common name of a player in the World Cup, Taylor? First of all, to channel, to channel uh, Graham Ruthven, only 7,000? That seems, that seems minimal. Uh, <laughs> I will say, is Mohammed in the top 10? It is not. Really? Because I, I feel like I'm World going Cup with players, that old... Taylor. World Cup players. Still, I feel I feel like there would be plenty. I feel like that's the isn't that the most popular name in the world? So I assumed it would be it would be in there. I guess I was wrong. Then I will go with and I'm now blanking all of a sudden. What's a like uh I mean John? John feels like the very I don't know how many like English speaking uh countries there are, but is John is, is John number on five. The list? John is number five. I'll give you a clue for number one. Uh I think Brazilian. <laughs> well, Fred, obviously. And also think of a really good guitar player who had a, a sparkling wine called DVX. 
I, I don't know what you're talking about now. <laughs> I'm further away than I was before. It's Carlos. Carlos is the number one name. 72 ah. Carloses in World Cup history. Uh, number two is what? Jose. Wait, or Jose. wait, what? Who, who has a sparkling wine? Carlos Santana. Ah, you, you didn't want to go with, oh, you did go with guitar player. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what else is he known for? Pardon me, sparkling wine and his guitar licks. I mean, his, his best friend status with Rob Thomas. That's true. They did uh, combine jazz, blues, and pop. Uh, let's, uh, let's not uh, talk about that. <laughs> Carlos is the most popular name. Jose, Luis, Mario, and then John. Oh, Jose, Jose. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. That should have been my number yeah. one. Uh, no total soccer show team member names in the top 20, unfortunately. But a very interesting list. I thought it was quite fun to know the most popular name in World Cup history. And I don't know how many Carlos's they're going to be this time around. I wish Kel Bet. Oh, I'm sorry. That was history? I thought you meant going to this current World Cup. I am am a fool. I feel foolish. Now I understand. There you go. Yeah, there we go. This is the history since 1930. Hence 72 of them, Taylor. It wasn't 72 Carlos's. Listen. This yes. is listen. I mean, to, to, to know that you're listening to maybe 50% of what I'm saying is a win, I'd say, frankly. <laughs> so we've, huh? we've learned that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that fun exercise out of the way, why don't we move on, Taylor, to MLS Conference Finals. We're going to do a bit of thumbs up and thumbs down in this episode, as we've become accustomed to doing in the past week. Uh, so why don't we start off with the news that LAFC are going to host MLS Cup. They're going to host Philadelphia this coming Saturday at 4pm Eastern. I guess that's 1pm local. Uh, LAFC in their first ever MLS Cup final. Actually, both teams in their first uh, ever MLS Cup final. Mm-hmm. A very good season indeed for LAFC. Taylor, uh, Supporter Shield champs as well under Steve Chirundolo. Excuse me. Uh, this was a 3-0 win over Austin. Uh, yes, where do your thumbs go for this one, Taylor? Uh, my thumbs, first of all, it's commiseratory, commiseratory thumbs up to Austin for such a strong season, especially given the expectations. They've talked about that plenty on social media, but I don't think anybody expected them to get to this level this quickly and to be at this level. Uh, you could also argue, if you're an Austin fan, and I'm guessing they will, that it could have been a different story if the uh, Fagundes penalty shout had been uh, actually reviewed by the center official. And, and whether or not you think that was a penalty at that point, it was 2-0, so it could have been 2-1, to one, and who knows? what would have happened but that was when they were sort of building momentum so I think the 3-0 scoreline is a fair reflection of how good LAFC were but it also Mm. feels slightly unfair to Austin and the season they had so thumbs up to them but big big thumbs up to LAFC because they're just very very good Uh, they can beat you with possession through the middle Uh, if they can do that then they will if they can beat you with attacks out wide uh, and then cutting inside they will if they can beat you with attacks out wide and then crosses in they'll do that and if they can beat you on set pieces they will certainly do that and maybe make you defeat yourself as well because they did force an own goal off a set piece in this one but they're just such a a strong team that yes Carlos Vela is in there no Gareth Bale did not play in this game but they ju- they just have so many good players that whereas in the past I feel like it was the Vela show and is he going to be able to create and what do you do when he's double marked or kicked every single time and we've seen so many teams have that marquee player that the entire team is sort of structured around 
And it's it's fascinating to see an LAFC team that have Carlos Vela and are clearly built around him, but at the same time, not entirely built around him. So if he is having a great game, then they can sort of play off of his strengths. If he's having a down game or kind of getting marked out and attracting opposition defenses, then they have plenty of other players, Arango especially, uh, who can step up and make things mm-hmm. happen. So just a really, really strong performance from them in a very strong season. And obviously, it's the first time we get two number one seeds uh, playing each other in the final since 2003. So it also feels like... Like the regular season, indicative of who the best teams were, so too do the playoffs, and now we get hopefully a uh, a star-studded and very exciting championship game. Definitely so, and full credit to Austin, of course, for going this far, um, given you know the, the relative infancy of their team and the expectations yeah. on the team as well. So um, bully for them, but they were pretty outpowered here, I'd say in general. Yeah. Really, pretty rampant, weren't they? Yeah, I think uh, uh, if not for Stuver, this would have been a very different result because he has some like pretty routine saves. But even in a game like this, to make those routine saves, it does give your team that level of confidence. Uh, see Andre Blake. We'll talk about him in a second. But I, I think it, it could have been worse for Austin. LAFC were up for this one. The crowd was up for it. And you could just tell they were they were after it early. They get the first half goal. And I think that always is going to make such a difference at home. So, again, credit to Austin, but even more credit to LAFC for winning and winning comfortably and uh, booking their place at home in the MLS Cup. It's almost as if, Taylor, the secret to doing well in this league is to have the best players, the most yeah. star quality, have a really good home atmosphere yeah. and, you know, win every game. And be based in Southern California. That that does probably help. Yeah, I think especially <laughs> this time of the year, uh, if you're flying in from, say, Manchester, I'm going to assume that Los Angeles is a slightly more uh, welcoming atmosphere. Indeed. And just to catch up, as you mentioned, there, Gareth Bale, an unused substitute in this game. If LAFC win MLS Cup, Taylor, does Bale get a medal or do you have to like try and be interested in the team to get one? I don't know the answer to that because with other competitions, you have to have made a minimum number of appearances, right? So, right. Or maybe just been included in the squad in some other cases. So I guess it depends on what the rules are. But MLS being MLS, I would err on the side of if LAFC wins, Gareth Bale is up there getting a winner's medal. Maybe he's not like fully celebrating because he knows he wasn't a critical part of it. But I'm guessing at some point, if they win, we see him with a winner's medal or a ring or something like that. Yeah, very well earned. Well done, Gareth. Of course, of course. For that one. Uh, as you say, Lotator, <laughs> uh, it's Philadelphia they'll be facing this Saturday. That yeah. should that that's billed to be one of the most exciting MLS Cup finals, I'd say, in a long time. By the way, MLS Cup final, is that the correct way to say it, or is it just it MLS is. Cup? I think it is. I think I said the okay. MLS Cup a moment ago and felt awkward about it. Uh, it is, <laughs> I think, the MLS Cup final, I believe, Excellent. is what you're supposed to say. Yeah, it, the nomenclature is confusing in this league at best, Taylor, but uh, that's good yes, to know. That is true. Um, but this should, this one should be really good. Two very good teams, as you say. Uh, the last two matches between these two sides were 2-2 and 3-3 draws, Taylor. So I'm pretty excited about this weekend. Yeah, we can expect some goals. And we got goals in Philadelphia's 3-1 win over NYC FC. Uh, NYC FC getting up uh, that early lead. And I, I have a few thumbs in this one as well. Starting with thumbs down to my brain. Uh, because I watched this game... Uh, because it was on later on, and then I watched it on like an hour delay, so even later. Uh, so I think because of the long, the length of the weekend, the lack of sleep I got over that weekend, I, like Ryan, I don't know if you have this experience with VAR, but if you're sort of like paying attention to a game but not fully locked in. Uh, it was uh, was it Philly who scored? Yeah, or, yeah, it was Philly who scored and had the goal chalked off for offside. Yeah, uh, and I saw that happen, 
saw it get overturned, and somehow immediately removed it from my brain and genuinely spent a good 20 minutes then, this furthered the delay, trying to be like, wait, how did my feed get backed up? Why does it still say nil-nil? Like, I don't know why, but I kept forgetting that that goal had been disallowed and assuming something had gone wrong. So I'm saying thumbs down to my brain for a 10 to 20 minute period in which I sort of uh, ceased to function as a good soccer person should. So that was that was an odd one. But then Andre Blake uh, pulled me back into it. Uh, <laughs> thumbs up to Andre Blake for being a voice of wisdom when Philadelphia needed it because NYCFC go up 1-0 and then they start to, to play the games a little bit. There's, there's players staying down, there's playing get, getting in each other's faces and this is all part of New York knowing they're up 1-0, knowing that they can kill time. They want to disrupt, they want to slow things down, they want to take Philly out of their rhythm. They want to kill that atmosphere basically. And I think multiple Philly players kind of overcome by the situation, probably stressed out about being 1-0 down and the threat of like losing this game again they start to kind of respond to that. They get into it. And Andre Blake comes running out, pulls his teammates out, and gives them all. Pretty clearly is cursing if, because they're close up on him, but he's pointing to his temples, clearly telling them to mm-hmm. effing think and, like, use your effing brains. And but, but at the same time, not just screaming, but definitely calming them down, reminding them that they're professionals. And then, within a minute, pulls off a very good... Uh, save the re- like the initial shot of it made it seem incredible. It's not like fully incredible, but he gets down really low. He gets a strong hand to it, and that easily could have been two nil. And so for your goalkeeper, who is such a veteran player and a rock for you and your team, to be the one to sort of make everybody refocus, keep everybody focused on the task at hand, and then himself pull out a save that kept it one nil. That sort of I think also was that comfort blanket that security blanket a little bit to be like oh right we have one of the best goalkeepers in the league yeah. on our team we we can feel comfortable going forward and from there philly uh turned it around so credit to andre blake for being a voice of wisdom and surely credit taylor and surely i can guess the direction your thumb will be pointing when we discuss uh julian Carranza, who got the equalizer oh and beautifully set up the uh golf against like, a few minutes later as well Yes, another moment uh, watching this one because I thought, like, ah, I, I must have, like, stopped paying attention for a second because I don't know where this goal came from. And I always want to know the couple minutes before the goal to see what was happening or what the situation was in the buildup. And here, it's a New York player stepping on, and it's a free kick to, to, uh, to Philly that's just taken very quickly. Uh, and, and credit uh, to the ball being played. I think it's Glesnes who plays him in, uh, uh, plays in uh, Carranza. And so for a moment, I thought, like, oh, that's great awareness from the taker. But watching it again, Carranza starts that run and is running across the back line, which isn't uh, structured in a way they're waiting for, like, the subs to be done. But as a result, they're not standing in a flat line. They're not holding an offside line. Carranza makes that run and is very clearly calling for the ball. So I think he spots this opportunity. It's a great ball in from Glesnes, but he's there uh, to finish Carranza to make it one-to-one. So right there, he's already operating at a different level than most of the players on the pitch. But that second goal, uh, Ryan, as you talked about, it it is the way he cushions that header uh, back across for Gazdag to score. I... At first, at first glance, because of how he's able to do it and where he puts it, I assumed, like, oh, he missed that header. He was trying to put it on, into the far side netting or just putting it on frame, and he kind of scuffs it, but somebody was there to tap it home. He absolutely knew what he was doing. And so to cushion a header, like a cross ball in at his head, in that pressure with defenders on him, and then put it perfectly into the path of his teammate to just tap in at the far post. Again, his awareness and his situa- situational awareness, but then also... 
like uh, attacking vision, both just so excellent on, on the evening to give them that lead. Then the third goal for Philly uh, and, and, and a, a great amount of celebrating, including Andre Blake sprinting the length of the pitch. More love for Andre Blake because Corey Burke <laughs> scores that third goal uh, with a great like uh, power hold up dribble, gets the ball back, finishes with a big volley. But uh, Jama- uh, uh, Blake and Corey Burke, Jamaica teammates, so I guess there's that connection. There's the Philly yep. connection, but very happy scenes for, for Philadelphia across the board uh, in that win. Definitely so. Corey Burke coming off the bench to put the icing on the cake. A very nice touch for Philly. Congrats to them. Taylor, I'd like to, if I may be a negative Nancy, give a mm. thumbs down to an NYCFC player. Sure. Uh, it's uh, the centre-back Justin Huck, who I thought was... I couldn't figure out what he was doing on at least the second and third goals. If you watch him mm. back, the second goal, there's this kind of casual jog towards the action and then sort of a, oh, the ball just went in kind of scratching head stare. And then for the third, the third goal, I believe it's he, uh, Haku's dispossessed. And then once again, no attempt to sort of track back and try and win the ball back or get in the way in any way. Yeah. Just another casual jog back. And I was thinking, this is quite an important game. And for your, your central centre back to be behaving in that manner, and I'd argue to be at fault for two goals, is you had- not so good. You want a little pep in the step there? Mm. <laughs> um, I think for that third goal especially, and he does, uh, Hack then get uh, subbed off, I think, two minutes after Corey Burke scores. But that that one was the one that really had me scratching my head because he he gets absolutely bodied in a way that most of the time the player would immediately call for the foul, even if they were pretty sure they hadn't been fouled. But you know that you've got to at least, you've got to at least put up that hand of like, ah, that was a foul, right? Because otherwise I've just been tossed aside like a rag doll and then made to look inferior. He doesn't even do that. He just gets up and sort of trudges back, head down, and isn't there to make a play, as you said. That was the one that really made me think, I'm not sure he's up for this game anymore. And I guess his coach agreed since he came out two minutes later. Indeed. Uh, Once again, congratulations to Philly, who will be heading to LAFC uh, this weekend for MLS Cup Final. Oh, Taylor, $50 to park during the regular season, 100 during the playoff build-up. How much is it going to be to park in that stadium this weekend? I'm going to say two hundred dollars. Uh, two hundred dollars, then two fifty if you want a photo of you and Giorgio Chiellini, which I'm sure that you do, Ryan Bailey. You could not pay me enough for that photo opportunity, Data. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk NWSL Championship. We're going to talk Premier League. We're going to go all around the houses in Europe and much, much more. Stick around. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Taylor Rockwell, why don't we turn our attention to the action in D.C. at the Audi Field, the NWSL Championship game. Portland Thorns 
two. Kansas City Current nil. The third title for Portland here. A team that's full of experience, Taylor. A team that's had a pretty decent level of investment over the years. So thumbs up for investment in soccer giving (laughs) prizes. Yeah? (laughs) Well navigated, sir. Uh, Yes, I would say, first of all, this this was an entertaining game with the exception that Sophia Smith is too good uh, because mm-hmm. they score Portland in the fourth minute, and at that point, they they feel very much in control. They feel like they've been in playoff games before, whereas Kansas City, uh, I think they're the first fifth seed to make it to the final, and I think the nerves showed at least in that first half. So it felt like it could have been worse by halftime. Uh, so I blame so- uh, Sophia Smith for being very good. Uh, more on her in just a second. But first, I want to say thumbs up to Portland for overcoming a lot these last couple months. Yeah. Uh, here is a great uh, an excerpt from a great article about this result uh, written by Jeff Carlisle for ESPN. Uh, he summarizes it better than I can. Quote, Portland's players and coaches weren't the only ones to have to deal with the trauma of the abuse scandal that rocked the entire league, but the Thorns still had plenty with which to cope. Not only were the allegations made against former manager Paul Riley featured prominently in the Yates report, but Portland executives, including owner Merritt Paulson, came in for heavy criticism as well. The organization's president of soccer, Gavin Wilkinson, and president of business, Mike Galoub, uh, Galoub, I'm not sure, were fired, so it doesn't matter. Uh, The ensuing weeks saw Thorns fans demanding that Paulson sell both the Thorns and MLS side, uh, the Portland Timbers, even after he stepped down as CEO and the Thorns owner chose not to attend Saturday's final, end quote. And uh, I'm really glad he he wasn't there because I'm glad he wasn't there, but also because the atmosphere was really great. And for it to be at Audi Field, but for it to be that well attended, you still got the chance, you still got the atmosphere there. And I just think for a season that has had uh, plenty of down moments, especially in regards to the Yates report, uh, I, I think for it to be a celebration of the league and, and those two teams and, and the players, that made me very happy. But then also for Portland to just handle what they've had to handle, to deal with what they've had to deal with, uh, and and then to be able to come out and, and get that win and just sort of play soccer, I'm guessing was, was a welcome relief and experience. Uh, and so they did that. They got the win. Congratulations to the champions. And finally, thumbs up to Sophia Smith's stealth abilities. That's what I'm calling it. Uh, she, of course, is the youngest M- MVP in league history. She got 14 mm. goals in 18 games. But in this one... Um, it's credit to Rocky Rodriguez for spotting an opportunity to play through Sophia Smith. And she's a, a little bit behind uh, Elizabeth Ball, the uh, Kansas City center back, when the ball is first played by Rocky Rodriguez. But I think Ball I think she has position. I think she doesn't realize Sophia Smith is that close and maybe just doesn't know that she is running stride for stride with her. So that all of a sudden when Ball goes to turn to play, like she's going to get to that through ball first. She's going to intercept it. And I think she's trying to play it back to her own goalkeeper but then realizes Sophia Smith is closing and maybe going to beat her, and she doesn't really have the power to play this ball backwards. She ends up sort of trying to slide tackle the ball back, and that does not work. So right there, Sophia Smith's stealth abilities have worked to her advantage. She, she kind of just pops in, gets that ball that I've talked about this many times before. When you are now one-on-one with a goalkeeper and you still have about 35 yards to close, that's just mm-hmm. so much time to think. And think... 
like, I better not miss this. I'm a very young player. I'm the MVP. It would be, like, really bad if I didn't finish. There's just so many times to think negative things. And Sophia Smith, just as a crafty veteran, rounds the goalkeeper, puts it home, 1-0, and away they go, and just looks very confident in her celebration as well. I think that's what you want from your MVP, and that's what they got. So credit to her for the goal. Credit to Portland for the win. Credit to Kansas City uh, for making it to the final. But ultimately, your thorns are your deserved champs. Yeah. The thorn in the current side. The current hey. not having enough electricity. Hey. No shots on target for them, by the way. Um, can I give a thumbs up also to alliteration in Portland's uh, front line? There was Sophia Smith and Raquel Rocky Rodriguez. I do enjoy that very much. I propose nothing. <laughs> hey, you got you to you gotta find your joy where you can, Ryan. Whatever sparks joy. You do indeed. Uh, not much joy spark to Anfield this weekend, Tater. Oh, was there? Plenty uh, think... for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was. Liverpool won Leeds 2 as we turn our attention to the Premier League. Liverpool went twice behind in this game. Uh, Crescencio Somerville with the 89th minute winner for Leeds in this one. Um, I, I guess we can give a thumbs up to Jesse Marsh. To start... We'll get to Liverpool, of course, in a second. But to start with Leeds, um, Jesse Marsh, he gets my thumbs up at least. He was... Pretty much fighting for his job before this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first win for Leeds since August. And they've got Spurs and Man City coming up in the next three games. So to get three points on the board at Anfield uh, in these circumstances, full credit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he... I've talked uh, previously about how I would like to see him maybe just tone it down a little bit because if you are always at an 11, then that is your base setting. And to some extent, the intensity then loses its impact, or vice versa, if you're always at an 11, it just becomes draining and kind of exhausting, and I think the players tune you out. Uh, and so that, that is a serious point. A lighter point would be the way he celebrated the opener, I think <laughs> was appropriate given how bad of a mistake it was from Liverpool. It's not as though Leeds passed their way through Liverpool and then scored a beautiful goal. It's a an errant uh, back pass from Joe Gomez. Allison yeah. maybe calling for it at the wrong time. He seemed to to take some of the bl- blame here, but it ends up just being a a, a, b- a ball straight to Leeds. Leeds score it, and Jesse Marsh, to his credit, just gives the like one finger in the air, like very solemn, very unemotional celebration. Like still, there's there's plenty of intensity behind it, uh, but it's not the over the top reaction. And I love Jesse Marsh. Thumbs up to him for keeping it together just as long as he possibly could. Because when they score that winner, all of that calmness, he still tries it and then slowly ends up doing a series of like fist punches down the sidelines. And there's, there's a yeah. lot of emotion behind it. So I feel like he, tr- he did the best he could to contain himself for the first one. But for the winner, uh, there was no containing it. And it was a great winner. It was a great result for Leeds. Certainly less of a great result for Liverpool. Indeed. Kind of an aggressive air guitar was worked in yes. in that celebration. Yes, that is well said. Yeah. <laughs> so he, you're right. Jesse Marsh, I feel like in karaoke, would select a song that has a guitar solo just to then air guitar that <laughs> as part of his karaoke segment as well. And you would get that intensity out of it, too. You would indeed. Uh, pour some out for Alisson, by the way, conceding two goals in this game. So he had a loss there. His favourite Brazilian political candidate also had a big loss this weekend. Aww. Isn't that a shame? Poor Aww. buddy. So Neymar so has to pay so his taxes now. That's, that, that must suck for him. <laughs> Poor little guy. Yeah, and for more on politics and soccer, see last week's Soccer hey. 101 episode, ladies yeah. and gents. Um, I'm going to give a thumbs up, Taylor, to Trent Alexander-Arnold, not necessarily for his performance, but for his comments to the BBC after this game. I quote, Something's not going right. It's not going as well as we want it to go. So we've we've learned there, Taylor, that this isn't part of Liverpool's plan, I suppose. 
<laughs> Lose it, losing games yeah. Uh, intermittently, yeah. That that feels like he was asked immediately after the game, like, uh, you know, Trent, uh, th- like another loss today, seems like things aren't working out. And he gave them that, and then they took that quote and made it as though he had just said that himself. But even so, it is it is a pretty great repeating of very basic uh, facts without having to say anything at all. It's a great non-quote <laughs> that still somehow ends up being a quote. But he is right. Something is not working. This cannot be the season they expected. Certainly wasn't the season I expected for Liverpool, who, as you said in the introduction, those t- top four aspirations, which seemed... I would have bet all the money that they were definitely going to be top four, if not mm-hmm. champions, which is where I thought they would be. Uh, it does seem like they're not finding that sort of consistency that is required to push you to that level where you then are staying in the top four. Look at Arsenal, who I think I, we keep thinking eventually the lack of depth, the over-reliance on certain players, that will catch up to them. And maybe it will, but you know we've said the same thing about other teams that went on to finish top four or even yeah. finish champions. So I think you have to find that level of consistency and the Thus far, Liverpool have not. So I think thumbs down to them for that lack of consistency, for sort of being architects of their own destruction, uh, as we saw in this game, that giveaway. But simultaneously, and this is this is a weird one. Again, not a lot of sleep this weekend, Ryan. But I, I was talking about this with Graham last week. I will connect this with Liverpool, I promise. But about why I don't find Man City to be as engaging of a team to watch. And and. I I assumed it was just because it's Man City, I'm a Manchester United fan, there's probably some jealousy in there, they've got all the players, they've got all the money, but they've also got uh, Pep Guardiola and so much success, and there's certainly that part of it too, but then that would make me not enjoy watching Liverpool, and I do find Liverpool to be a more engaging team, and I think I've stumbled upon an idea, a theory, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. It's basically that Liverpool are occasionally bad. <laughs> and they have those moments where they shoot themselves in the foot. The, the slip with Steven Gerrard, where they have just mm. those moments where it, it seems like, oh, it was just like faded, they weren't going to win. And you never know if that's going to be the Liverpool team you're watching, and it could be on the day, or if it's going to be a Liverpool team that do shoot themselves in the foot and go 3-0 down at halftime, and then somehow score three and win the Champions League. They're capable of that response as well. But with that, there's some inconsistency there's some unpredictability and contrasting that with man city for a moment it it like ever since the new owners came in i I think it wasn't the case pre the new owners but since them if you're a new fan to soccer man city just win like sure they don't win the champions league yet but they are always going a candidate to win the premier league or the fa cup certainly the league cup they're going to be in the top four conversation they're just a very good team and it just suddenly becomes like suddenly becomes just a really consistent thing that you sort of just know is going to be consistent and so it becomes like oh who are city beating this weekend and even if they lose that game rather than it be a oh like what does this mean for them what could it mean for them long term it's sort of for me is like all right but who are they going to beat next week because we know that's the way it's going to be it requires them to be bad for like three to four games before i think man city are actually having a blip in form whereas liverpool seem capable of having that blip and then writing it immediately and so i think there's something about inconsistency in liverpool that makes them a really captivating team whereas with man city it feels i don't know just predictable i guess that's my long rambling way of explaining this one because i keep trying to figure out why this incredibly expensive team that has so much talent that is so exciting at the same time is sort of like yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's that's fun now two no win yeah that feels about right yeah you're right that was long and rambling thank you um <laughs> uh, you mentioned inconsistency there taylor uh 
the, the man, the poster boy, I would argue for inconsistency, Darwin Nunes. Where do your thumbs lie on him at the moment? Because it felt like there were several one-on-one chances in this game he didn't take. And this is going to sound very hot takey on my part. But is he actually good at the soccer? Uh, I was wondering if that's where you were going to go. Uh, my response to that is to say, like, I, I, you will say I'm sitting the fence. My, my honest answer is I don't think I've paid enough attention to him to know what his issue is because I'm going to assume that for every article that's like he can't finish, his XG is terrible, there's going to be three other ones about how he actually takes up really useful positions or he does this or he does that or he's this connective player. So I don't know which of those two things is true. It certainly seems like he has not been the consistent goal scorer that that target number nine that Liverpool needed uh, the way Erling Holland certainly has been for Man City. So in that way, I think he, he hasn't lived up to the billing. But at the same time, when you're trying to compete with uh, with Erling Holland. The, uh, Erling ha- if Erling Holland is Armageddon, then like Darwin Nunez right now is Deep Impact. There's a 90s reference for you. Uh, but it's like, it's like they're, they're expected to do a similar thing, but because one of them is so blockbuster <laughs> and so high profile, the other one maybe falls off the radar, or when it is mentioned, it's mentioned in a sort of like, oh, that wasn't very good, was it? Why isn't that better? It should be better. So that is my analogy I'm drawing now until I can give you a more concrete answer down the road. Was Deep Impact, was that a Bill Pullman or a Bill Paxton vehicle? I seem to remember. Oh, I don't know. It's an Elijah Wood vehicle, I believe, uh, and Taya Leone. Lest we forget, Morgan Freeman is the president, I think. The the start of a long run of Morgan Freeman being uh, a calm-voiced position of authority in movies. Yeah. I think I saw them both, but yeah, that is an excellent analogy. Well played there, Taylor. Deep well Impact, played. it actually hits. I think Armageddon, it just hits France, I think, because Michael Bay. <laughs> Spoiler alert, listener, if you, in case you've not seen those two uh, movies from 25 it's years ago. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, what else do we say about this game? Virgil van Dijk has lost his Premier League home oh. streak of being undefeated. Uh, 70 games long it was, Taylor. Uh, pour some out for him too. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, at the same time, I, it's hard for me to feel too upset about a player losing a streak like that when they play mm. for Liverpool and make a ton of money. A player that I will be really excited for uh, is Tyler Adams. I want to yeah. give him a, a big old thumbs up in this one uh, for a brief moment for his positional awareness. I thought he was great in this one. I thought he was an instigator when it required. Um, but there's a moment early on when Leeds uh, were down to 10. They had an injury to their right back. And Tyler Adams filled in there. Uh, and and that seemed to be part of the plan because he has done that for the U.S. before. He's done it for Leipzig in the past. Uh, and then, to the commentator's credit, they pointed out that that seems to just be a thing he's doing because every time there's a stoppage in play, he is turning and screaming to the bench, asking him if this is what they want him to be doing. But it's absolutely what was required because of uh, Liverpool at that point are attacking. They have, they're on the front foot. And I think if you don't fill that space, they will certainly take it. Andy Robertson salivating at the idea of having all of that room to run into. So I think Tyler Adams... Being aware of the situation, slotting in, doing a job there, but then also frantically trying to get the attention of the bench to, I guess, ask for forgiveness instead of permission. It was a strange moment, but made me uh, another reminder that Tyler Adams, I think, is that sort of player who is aware of so many things that are happening aside from his own game. And that is such a, a rare skill to have. Indeed. Uh, and a rare result for Leeds. Congratulations yeah. to all the Leeds fans out there on this one. Commiserations to Liverpool, who are in ninth position in the Premier League, eight points off the top four. Uh, let's go to a, another unusual result from this weekend, Taylor. Brighton 4, 
Chelsea yeah. won. Graham Potter's return to the south coast of Brighton, uh, a bit ruined by the home side going off on one. Uh, one of the finest Premier League, uh, uh, several Brighton fans calling this the finest Premier League performance they've seen from their team, and uh, it's easy, easy to see why. Uh, Potter ball with a deserbian flourish is what the Guardian <laughs> um, described it as, which is a flourish in its own right, I believe. Very nice indeed. Deserbi, uh, his first five games were winless, and he goes to do this. Um, so, okay, I'm going to give my first thumbs in this one and I'm going to give it to the concept of Raheem Sterling and Christian Pulisic playing as win-backs once again. You're giving That's thumbs not... up or down? I think they're going to go down for that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, any, any, any thoughts on that? It seems like it's not the best thing to do, Taylor, in, in summary. That's my well, deep analysis It was really there. interesting to read, not always a great idea to read, uh, the comments of an article, though, The Athletic tends to have a, a, a useful comment section for the most part. Uh, and then reading the Reddit match report and post-match threads, uh, a lot of debate around what Sterling and Pulisic were actually doing. And I think part of that is that the, the shape changes at halftime. We have Kukurea come off again. Uh, this is a thing that he did last week, uh, um, did Graham Potter. They go from back three to back four. But a lot of confusion about if they were ever actually in a back three and were they playing with wing backs, and they were. But I think a lot of that is because Pulisic and Sterling aren't doing the wing back thing so much. They're doing a lot of the attacking thing. And it does seem like maybe the expectation from Potter was that Brighton would be more conservative or sit a little bit deeper and so they could sort of be on the front foot Chelsea and commit those numbers to the attack and really take the game to them, which feels silly because I believe Graham Potter has somewhat of a connection to Brighton. Uh, and so maybe <laughs> you should have known that they would try to play through that and create overloads themselves and exploit opportunities. And, and uh, on at least the first goal, it's not... Like, I'm not blaming Pulisic, I'm not being the English media, but I will say that he is not <laughs> back in a defensive position that you need that wing back to be back in. And that's the, maybe that's a lack of instruction, maybe that's a lack of familiarity, but in my mind, if you're going to do that, the expectation is those wing backs get back, get in line with the defense, and then you have that, back, that flat back five. You've got numbers where you need them so that you don't give opportunities out wide. And uh, Estupinan for uh, Brighton especially was capable of sort of holding that run and then arriving late down the left channel playing as a left back. And that was where those gaps would be open if Pulisic hadn't tracked or other Brighton attackers had moved into that space and then moved out of it and taken defenders with them. It felt like Brighton were very good about finding those gaps and then exploiting them. And I think the scoreline really showed that. Chance of Potter, what's the score? Potter, Potter, what's the score? Uh, as as it went to four to one, and for Brighton, obviously a resounding win against their former manager against a, a, a squad like Chelsea. For Chelsea, a, a lot of the reaction also seemed to be that this had been coming, and that the media—they said the English media—but I will include myself in this one, I guess—were so in love with Potter Ball and Graham Potter, and had their kind of English media blinders on that they had failed to see a lot of the writing on the wall with this Chelsea team. I wouldn't go that far with it, but. It does seem like there are plenty of things still to be figured out, probably more than I was giving credit for. I was Mm -hmm. of the opinion that this was a team kind of assembled by Thomas Tuchel that had a ton of talent, and then he just wasn't the locker room force that maybe they needed or wasn't the presence they needed, that things had gone a little bit stale or a little bit sour. Graham Potter comes in with some new ideas, shakes it up, and they continue to play. It does seem like there will need to be... Some uh, departures, certainly. I think it's pretty clear that Reese James is their best right wing back by some distance. I think Ben Chilwell, their best left, left wing back by some distance. And if those two can't play, I'm not sure who does that. And I'm not sure they can play that style with the personnel they have. 
They need that central uh, target man still. That remains the case. Somehow Lukaku wasn't that. I don't know if Havertz will be that. But I I think there are still roster build issues for Chelsea. I think there's some tactical issues that they still have to figure out. We praise Graham Potter for making a first-half change last weekend when things weren't going well. He makes a halftime change. This one is a goalkeeper due to an injury to Kepa. But he still has to make, I think, a triple change pretty early in the second half. So Graham Potter still having to chop and change a lot as he figures out this Chelsea team, but also maybe figures out his own tactics and how to get the best out of them. So a work in progress more than I would have thought at this time last week are Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah, interesting, the uh, the comments from the Chelsea fans saying the writing's been on the wall for this team. Uh, that writing best viewed with uh, 2020 hindsight, I would suggest. Uh, yes, we, it did we... feel a little bit of a captain hindsight moment. It did feel like there were some people who don't like Graham Potter or like Thomas Tuchel that were waiting for the first bad results to then be able to say, I told you this might be a bad idea. And yeah. teams are going to have bad results. It's not like Chelsea were the model of consistency in the final days of Thomas Tuchel. But, uh, but I think a little bit of work to be done. I still wouldn't be too worried if I were a Chelsea supporter uh, certainly not yet yeah and Brighton fans should be still delighted uh, Brighton in 8th yeah. at the moment and uh, still uh, still doing good things under Mr De Zerbi, it seems and of course coming off their best ever season last season looking pretty good this season too so thumbs up to the Seagulls let's take a quick break we're gonna, when we're going to come back we're going to talk a bit more about the Premier League we're going to go around the houses in Europe and much more do stick around This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the weekend review. Bournemouth 2, Tottenham 3, never in doubt, Spurs fans, never in doubt. A 90-second minute winner from Bentancur in this one. Uh, I'd say that's a pretty good result, Taylor, for um, the trip to the... Uh, where are they going? Marseille on Tuesday. I had a brain freeze there. They're going to Marseille, very important game in the Champions League, of course. So uh, good prep to finally um, win. <laughs> Yeah, you think? You think it's it's a good idea to have a win heading into a a, a must-win game? I I would say that's probably the case, yeah. Yeah. I think that group is is just so all over the place and so fascinating. As we said in that review, I think any team, uh, be they first or fourth in the group, can still finish top of the table if other results go their way. So that that one will be, I think, the group to watch because there is so much to play for. But yeah, Spurs have to be feeling at least somewhat better with a win, although that one's still uh, not maybe as resounding as would have been uh, favorable. Indeed, yeah. And Tottenham still um, tend to turn it on later in games, maybe a bit too late on some occasions, but not too late for this game against Bournemouth. Uh, Newcastle Should Antonio Forest... Conte just tell them that they're starting at halftime 1-0 down even when it is just kickoff and it's 0-0? Would that be the way to do it, is just trick them into thinking that it's the final 10 minutes? Or it could just set them up not to be so negative in the first half. That would also work, mm, I think. I think mine more likely yeah. <laughs> than, yeah. than yours. Yeah. 
fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Newcastle 4, Aston Villa 0. I guess thumbs up to Newcastle here. Let's certainly give some thumbs up to Callum Wilson, who's competing, Taylor, for a seat on that plane in the England team here, doing right. very well indeed. Yet more goals. And Joe Linton and uh, Almiron with goals as well. Almiron's uh, the fourth goal for, Aston, uh, for Newcastle was a curling beauty as well. So uh, I, I, I give my thumbs... I don't give, literally give my thumbs, so I give my thumbs up to Callum Wilson and yeah. Eddie Howe for this one, Taylor. I can't remember who did the Newcastle preview. I think it might have been Joe. And I feel like Joe was, to my memory, rather disrespectful of Callum Wilson's ability and like the idea that he would be leading the line and that can't be what they're planning for. He's doing all right, Callum Wilson, this season. And the fact that he's in that conversation to be on that plane is pretty revealing uh, unto itself. This win, I think also another... Revealing statement in where Newcastle are as a club compared to Aston Villa, who sacked their manager. We covered that last week on The Big Thing, what went wrong for Steven Gerrard and what needs to go right for Unai Emery in his second stint back in the Premier League. Uh, But I think not going right for Aston Villa under caretaker manager Aaron Danks. For Newcastle, though, the way that they have started scoring goals, the way Callum Wilson gets a brace, but like just seems to be... Such an important part of this team, which isn't what I would have expected. Miguel Almiron, Joe Linton as well, uh, chipping in goals and being key contributors. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes continuing to be the anchor of that midfield. There's just a lot of continuing about this Newcastle team, which again is, I think, the consistency you want at this point in the season. Uh, we'll see if they can continue it for, until the World Cup break, and then certainly when they pick back up, if they have that momentum. Uh, I, I I don't know if top four is... like. A thing that they can definitely count upon, but I think with inconsistency elsewhere in the league, it's not a thing I would rule out entirely either. Indeed. Uh, Leicester nil, Man City won. Kevin De Bruyne with yet another outrageous free kick in this one. Beautiful it was. City went top uh, for a little while on Saturday with that result. No Erling Harden in this game, Taylor. He's got uh, a fever and a foot injury. Erling, you've got like a month off in a couple weeks. Delay it. Come on, man. A fever and a foot injury. Well, the, f- the mm. only prescription is more cowbell for the fever. We all know that. I don't know how you solve a foot injury other than, yeah, I guess rice, uh, rest, ice, compression, elevation. So do that, Erling, and then come back yeah. and score 19 goals and then enjoy the World Cup break. Uh, to, to cure a foot injury, it's actually less cowbell, so he's in a bit of trouble there. Ah, um, that's the balance. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. Hot ice. you got to heat up the ice cubes. There you go. Indeed. Uh, Arsenal, top of the league, 5-0 win over Nottingham Forest for them this weekend. Reese Nelson with a brace here. And Thomas Partey with a nice uh, first-touch goal from outside the box in this one, too. Uh, Arsenal, top Forest, rock bottom. So a nice sandwich game for the Premier League here. Man United won. West Ham, nil. Ooh. Manchester United, Taylor, unbeaten in eight games. Where do you Give your thumbs in this one. Marcus Rashford, perhaps, for his 100th United goal. Yeah. Yeah. Scoring his 100th goal is incredible, but scoring his fourth goal of the season is also really important, even though he definitely should have scored more. That's where I think my, my thumbs are for him, is that he has been such a frustrating figure for Manchester United this season. So many ill-advised shots or so many shots that maybe just were about to go in and then get pushed wide or, or deflected wide. And I think it's been a really frustrating spell for him Uh, as the kind of person who's leading the line in the absence of Cristiano Ronaldo and Anthony Martial and anybody else who could score a goal. And he just hasn't had that consistency in the way that Callum Wilson is in the conversation to be on the plane. Marcus Rashford seems to be less in that conversation. Not Mm. that this goal gets him back in there, but just that you could see the relief 
in the goal, uh, in sort of helping his team get that win, get that lead, and that 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 ends up being the difference. I think also pretty critical. And for this Man United team, I also th- say thumbs up because they look like a cohesive team. And it's a credit to Eric Ten Hag, who talked a lot about what they've been doing uh, in, in the post match. But I would say it's it's benching Ronaldo and I think bringing him back in slightly humbled. It doesn't seem like things are that amicable to my mind. It seems like he's still pretty annoyed by the situation. They would like to be rid of him, but both parties recognize. It's an unhappy marriage, but it's not one they can get out of yet. Uh, divorce will be too expensive, so that maybe they're waiting to January to see if things change. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think to to have handled that and not really like broken or like uh, tracked back uh, to incorporate Ronaldo, I think is a sign of how strong Ten Hag's position is. But David de Gea looking confident, making those big save, uh, big saves in this game and keeping it uh, one nil, keeping that or uh, preserving that win. Rashford scoring, as I mentioned, Casemiro pulling strings, Eriksen doing exactly what United fans would have hoped he would do when they signed him. It just seems like a team that is sort of bought in, has had the reps to get up to speed so that they know how to play together, and uh, I think are entertaining even in a one nil win. Uh, maybe not as many goals as we would have liked, but still a, a strong performance from Manchester United against a particularly tricky West Ham team. Taylor, I was told that this level of cohesion would take a season or two and that Ten Hag would be fired by then. What's Why is it being fast-tracked? I want answers. <laughs> I, I think spending a billion pounds tends to get things fast-tracked. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's similar. Honestly, it's similar to Graham Potter, where I, I am assuming there will be another run, maybe just after the World Cup, maybe just before it, who knows, where they have some... Uh, erratic finishes. Maybe they they don't beat. Uh, I think they have to beat Sociedad by two or three to finish top of the group in the Europa League. And I won't be surprised. Excuse me, Real. I, I'm not supposed to call them Sociedad. Graham always corrects me on that. But whatever I'm supposed to call them, uh, that La I Real. could see them. What's that? La Real. Thank you. There it is, La Real. Uh, I could see them not winning that game. I could see them finishing second. I could see them maybe dropping some more points. Maybe they lose a game at home, and suddenly it's is this the team? Is this the right direction? But I still think there's enough progress being made that it seems like things are are moving in a positive way in a way that I haven't felt for Manchester United yeah I can't remember the last time I felt that way so uh speaking as a fan that's very exciting speaking as a a a pundit of sorts it's also exciting to have a a talented Manchester United team doing things another team being excited and doing things I think only makes the league more fun it does indeed, and I'm loath to give Man United any credit, but I might give them a thumbs up for this stat from the BBC that I read this weekend, Taylor. Across 4,163 consecutive games since 1937, Man United have an unbroken run of having a player who came through their youth development programme either in the starting lineup or on the bench, and that being pertinent because mm-hmm. of Marcus Rashford getting the goal here. That's an incredible stat, no matter how you play it, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's... It's one of my favorite things about that club. There are times when it feels like it is anecdotal rather than deliberate. <laughs> like, like yeah, like Marcus Rashford is an academy player, but when he's that good, you just kind of have him in the team always, and then you get to keep that stat going. But it also is having academy players on the bench and giving them limited minutes here and there, and, and it's a thing that makes me love that club, that there is that dedication to the academy and bringing through Sometimes local products, sometimes youngsters from abroad who were brought in and then became local products. But either way, uh, they count as academy players, and that makes me happy. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, elsewhere in the Premier League, I give my thumbs up to Diego Costa for his first red card for Wolves. Congratulations. And Wolves getting a rare point on the road, a 1-1 draw at Brentford. Uh, thumbs up to Crystal Palace for a 1-0 win over Southampton, their third consecutive home win. And why not give thumbs up to Fulham? They're in seventh place after a 0-0 draw with Everton. Uh, unbeaten in four games of Fulham. Uh Going against type, we expected from this season, I would suggest. So congrats to Fulham uh, there. Let's move our attention to La Liga briefly. Cadiz 3, Atletico Madrid 2. And I've got to give some credit to Atleti for only ever getting games going in the last 10 minutes. This game was 1-0 in the 80th minute, Taylor. I love that Atleti are so true to form in only insisting on doing stuff, uh, particularly after that Champions League performance midweek in only like getting the party started uh, late on in games. They're, they're, they're a true credit to the game. <laughs> Do you feel like one of the, the biggest blows to Atleti is when they lost Thomas Partey to Arsenal because now you get all the Arsenal are having a party headlines? I saw like nine of those this weekend and Atleti, mm-hmm. I feel like, don't get those anymore. I wonder how much that's to blame for their poor run of form. Yeah, not enough party headlines, I guess, out there, Taylor. Oh, fire trucks on the way. Let's uh, go to Real Madrid 1, Girona 1. Um, Real Madrid are one point at the top of the league at the moment. I've got to give a thumbs down to my boy, Tony Kroos, his second yellow card. He earned a second yellow card in this game for his first ever red card. He, his Gary Lineker streak is over. He's got a red card now. And once again, he's adhering to my theory of um, if Tony Kroos plays a bad game, Real Madrid don't win. So, so is it yeah. just Tony Cruz now? Is the, have you gotten it down to that? Because I thought for the longest time it was Cruz and Modric. Modric is an, uh, a, 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 an ancillary part of the equation. It's mainly Cruz. It's mainly all about Cruz. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. So I guess credit to Tony Cruz for being that uh, indicative force, but then also maybe thumbs down to him for not being a good one this weekend. In. Indeed. And uh, Barcelona getting a win, a 1-0 win over Valencia. Thumbs up to Robert Lewandowski, uh, his 13th goal of the season. I think I've read he's, he scored 45% of Barcelona's goals this season. So that crazy um, well. lever pulling well. that Barcelona did. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe he scored more. But uh, it's showing in some ways the lever pulling has paid off. But in other ways, they might finish second in the league. They're going into Europa League and might not win anything this season for all that money they spent. And have no defenders. Yes. Uh, but, but yes, they've got a good goal scorer, so there's that. Yay! And Spotify. Cool. Hey. Yeah. Bundesliga. Bayern Munich 6. Mainz Man, zwei. I didn't realize they lost Jules Kounde in this one, too. I knew they lost Eric Garcia in the first half. Jules Kounde in the second to injury. That's rough. That's rough, Borsa. Uh, it's going to be an interesting month ahead, for sure. It is. And uh, go- jumping back to the team that loves scoring against Barcelona, Bayern Munich, who loves scoring against Mainz. 6-2 was the scoreline uh, this weekend. Uh, Bayern went top on Saturday with this one for a little while. Um, I love that they had six different scorers in this game, Taylor. That's that's quite an unusual feat, isn't it? And Chupa Moting was one of them. I mean, who I'm still amazed he's turning in these performances. Well done. My, my response to that, not to be a wet blanket, is like, is it rare for Bayern? I feel like Bayern do that all the time. Of like, oh yeah, they had 19 goal scorers uh, in the last two weeks. Like, it, it seems to be a thing they do. But I do love that yeah. Chupamotzen continues to score at least one, so that we we further the ongoing narrative that Chupamotzen is the new Robert Lewandowski. I am here for yep. it. 
I'm here for it too. And so is his agent, I'm quite sure. Um, Union Berlin went back to the top uh, on Sunday. They had a 2-1 comeback win over Gladbach. Uh, congratulations to Union Berlin for them. They are still uh, going great guns at the top of the Bundesliga. Leipzig 2, Leverkusen 0 and Kunku and Werner with the goals there. Leipzig moving up to sixth with that result. Uh, Leverkusen, Taylor, did you realise they're in the relegation zone after 12 games? Yikes! Yeah, not great. Uh, Xavi Alonso has taken over and not quite righted the ship at this point. Uh, And I think they are also still alive in the Champions League, but that seems less likely, although I think they're they're destined to be on their way out at this point. Uh, Because, yeah, it it has not been the season that was expected. And certainly, uh, I think in my last conversation with Manuel Vaith, my joke about them was, I genuinely think the question I asked him was, will it be second, sixth, or somewhere in between for Bayer Leverkusen this season? Because that's what they've done the last, I don't know, like (laughs) 10 years straight. They're always in that conversation. Uh, Always the bridesmaids, never the bride. And this time, I think they're not even invited to the wedding at this point. So how the season will play out from here is going to be fascinating because they're another team that have no business being in the position they're in. Uh, And whether that means Javi Alonso finds himself on the hot seat sooner rather than later, I don't know. But I can't imagine a club of that size and stature in history is going to be comfortable flirting with the relegation zone when play resumes in 2023. Indeed. One thing one would think they would turn that around. Uh, in the wedding analogy, they're just evening guests. They're not going to the ceremony at the moment. So uh, we shall see about that. Uh, Frankfurt won Dortmund 2 as well. Duke Bellingham with a lovely 52nd-minute uh, winner in this one. Dortmund closing the gap on the top four. But Duke Bellingham, Taylor, feels like he's shaping up to be England's best player at the World Cup. Hot take alert, hot take alert. I mean, he pretty good. He going to be a lot of money for some Premier League club uh, in the summer would be my guess. And Dortmund mm. in fourth place, I believe. So uh, they, ah. they're in there. Jude Bellingham, the best player in the world. I think good times for Dortmund, uh, though I'm sure they would prefer to be slightly higher up in that table. But only yeah. three points behind Bayern, four points behind Union. Good times for Dortmund until they lose their next game 3-0, which is usually what they do in times like these. Uh, Serie A, uh, Napoli uh, with another win, keeping them top of the league. Uh, a 4-0 win over Sassuolo. Uh, and also even hat-trick in this one. Guevara Donna with the other. And two assists as well. Is it sustainable, Taylor? That's my question. Are they actually going to get this title this season? It'd be amazing well, I mean, if got, they did. We got some time. We got some time before we... we <laughs> this reminds me of when I asked Sam Tai who was going to win a group in the Champions League after the first match day. He's like, really? We're doing this already? <laughs> uh, but I think 12 games in, Napoli to still not have lost, to have the plus 21 goal difference that they do, that's no small feat. Uh, I do think they're helped somewhat by a lack of consistency from some of the other teams in Serie A, specifically Juventus and Inter. Uh, despite making it to the knockout rounds in the Champions League, Inter is still outside of the Champions League places right now. Uh, Roma sandwiched in between Inter and Juve. So some traditionally strong teams not having that start. But I also think for Napoli, like they historically are a team that can have that poor run of form out of nowhere. They can have that inconsistency. It's been a lot of consistency chat on today's show. Uh, And can (laughs) end up really coughing it up and making their own mistakes. And part of that, to my understanding, has also been starting slowly so that even when they do catch fire... They've let other teams who can sort of get those results and grind out wins create such a big gap that even if Napoli find that form and start winning every game 3-0, come the end of the season, it's just a bridge too far. And for them to have jumped out to, to such a strong start to this season and are top of the table, 
I can't see them losing any big pieces in January. They've already lost two of the big pieces that people weren't sure how they'd be able to play without, and they're playing just fine. So uh, I think for them to be where they are uh, makes Serie A such an exciting uh, season this year, but that they continue to get those results. Again, it has those kind of shades of Leicester. The odds, certainly not as long as they were for Leicester City, but it keeps feeling like this, like, oh, but eventually they're going to get caught, and then slowly feeling like, ah, they've got some players in there that make it really difficult to truly stop them. Uh, Now I feel like we've cursed Napoli, and they will lose their first game next weekend. We're really jinxing a lot of teams today, Ryan. Sorry. Uh, Juventus getting a 1-0 win. They're in fourth, Maurizio, sorry. Very nice, very nice. They are indeed. And uh, by the way, Atalanta, not Atlanta, are in second. They regained second place uh, with a 2-0 win at Empoli. And the aforementioned Juventus with the 1-0 win at Lecce with Fagioli getting the late winner there. Juve have won four of their last five in the league. So despite their European fun and games, uh, are still getting a semblance of form together, uh, domestically speaking, at least. Uh, I don't know if Juve fans would agree with you that their Champions League campaign was fun and games, but I I, I hear what you mean. I hear what you mean. It was for me. (laughs) I think it was for most of us. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right, I think that just about sums up the weekend review. Taylor, I'd like to give one last thumbs up, though, and that is to the lower echelons of the English... Pyramid, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago the championship being completely bonkers with uh, some crazy results going on there and Burnley being top of the league with more draws than wins. Uh, But I want to turn your attention to League One, Mm. which is equally as fun. Plymouth Argyle at the top of the league. That's a a fun name to say on the south coast down there. But uh, the game I want to draw your attention to happened at the Valley, which is the closest stadium to where I grew up. Fun fact for you, Taylor. That's home to Cholton Athletic. Uh, there's result against Ipswich. Did you catch this one, Taylor? Did you see the final result? Oh, of course. Watch the whole 90. Yeah, good good. I switched off after making... 90 minutes, though. Did I miss anything? Ooh. Uh-oh. What happened? Okay, it was 2-2. Some news for you, bud. Yeah. <laughs> so this game was 2-2 in the 90th minute. It finished 4-4. Cholton what? 4, Ipswich 4. Uh, four goals after 90 minutes there. Five goals in stoppage time, if you count Ipswich getting a goal in the first half stoppage time as well. Uh, and you make the joke about uh, you know turning off in the 90th minute, and congrats for using your ESPN Plus um, subscription so well Always. if you did watch this game. But uh, one of my best friends, his dad, is a Cholton season ticket holder who did leave in about the 89th minute so missed uh, uh, quite a few goals in this one so thumbs down to him do Plymouth Argyle thumbs down to him do Plymouth Argyle do they wear Argyle patterns or do they have a picture of Argyle from uh, Die Hard on the front of the shirt or Argyle from the newest season of Stranger Things any one of those three would be appropriate all of those three actually perfect all right perfect One, one, one character on each sleeve and then the Argyle pattern I would actually buy that jersey Green Army, that's what you say. Plymouth <laughs> Argyle, they wear green. Fun times, fun times, Taylor, and fun times we've had on this here podcast. Yeah, All that's left for me to say is thank you very much for positioning your thumb in the appropriate areas of this podcast. Thumbs up to you, my friend, for uh, for hosting, for returning, for uh, being with me today. Because if you weren't here, Graham and Joe also are not. It would have just been me rambling into a microphone, which is, I guess, what this show was mostly anyway. But still, it's nice to have a buddy do it with me. Oh, you're very welcome. And the good news, listener, we're all going to be back later this week. Um, So there'll be four of us, twice as many voices. Yay! Which is what you'll hear if you come to our live show. Once again, in Brooklyn, November 20th. Ticket link in the description. Uh, Thank you very much, listener, for joining us on this intrepid journey. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, all four of us, no less. But for now, bye! Bye!